0: How has the Federal Trade Commission updated endorsement guides, and what are the implications of such updates? I'm Po Yi, and this is Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manatt. Earlier this summer, the FTC released the final revisions to the FTC endorsement guides together with an updated version of its accompanying guidance, what is commonly known in the industry as the FAQs. We already knew quite a bit about these revisions to the endorsement guides, which were introduced by the FTC last year. You can find a discussion of the proposed updates in episode 19 of this podcast. For the most part, the FTC has adopted the proposed updates, but the final revised guides, together with the updated FAQs, provide a more complete picture of the FTC's position on various issues related to endorsements in marketing. All in all, The 2023 version of the endorsement guides, supported by the updated FAQs, expand the scope of the guides and clarifies the FTC's position on a number of areas related to endorsement, including the definition of endorsement, clear and conspicuous disclosure of material connections, consumer reviews, and the liability of advertisers, agencies, and other intermediaries and endorsers. I'll be exploring some of the key provisions of the endorsement guides and related examples in the updated FAQs with my colleagues in Manat's advertising, marketing, and media team in a two part episode of this podcast. For part one, I'm joined by my partners, Jesse Brody in our LA office and Bez Stern in our DC office. Jesse and Bez, welcome to Perfect Balance. It's always a pleasure to have you join me.
1: Thanks, Poe. It's great to be here. Thanks,
2: Poe. Great to be here.
0: Jesse, The FTC modified the definition of endorsement and updated several examples in the endorsement guides. What are some of the notable changes, and what's the significance of those changes?
1: The FTC did follow through with its proposed updates to the guides it released last year and updated the definition of endorsement. In the prior version of the endorsement guides, the FTC defined an endorsement as any advertising message that consumers are likely to believe reflects the honest opinions, beliefs, findings, or experiences of a party other than the sponsoring advertiser and provided a representative list. In the updated endorsement guides, the FTC expands the definition of an endorsement to include not only advertising messages, but clarify that marketing and promotional messages are endorsements as well. And they expressly included virtual influencers and fake endorsements in our reviews within its gambit. The updated endorsement guides also make clear that an endorsement can come in many forms, including verbal statements, tags in social media posts, demonstrations, depictions of the name, signature, likeness, or other identifying personal characteristics of an individual, and the name or seal of an organization.
0: Let's further explore social media tags in the context of endorsements. The reference to social media tags in the FTC's proposed updates from last year caused quite a stir because social media tags are so commonly used and are often unrelated to endorsements.
1: Interestingly enough, despite an earlier draft in the proposed updates from May 22 that seemed to provide guidance that all social media tags would be considered endorsements, the FTC moved away from definitively establishing that such tags and other types of communications on a list are endorsements and instead stated that they can be endorsements. The FTC explained in the overview section of the endorsement guides that it made such change in response to comments that it received that not all tags are endorsements.
0: So what kind of tags are endorsements, and what kind of tags are not endorsements, according to the FTC?
1: In the updated FAQs, the FTC further clarified its position on when a tag is an endorsement that requires a material connection disclosure. If an individual tags the brand of a dress the individual is wearing in their social media post, then the tag is an endorsement that triggers a disclosure of the relationship between the individual and the brand, if there is one. If, on the other hand, the individual does not tag the dress in the post, then even if the individual has a relationship with the brand, the disclosure is not required because no representation is being made about the dress in this context.
0: That is definitely interesting. Bez, in the updated endorsement guides, the FTC appears to be super careful to emphasize that not all visual or verbal messages about a product are endorsements. So what makes a visual or verbal message an endorsement?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's something that the endorsement guides struggle with and then come out with some clear examples to differentiate, but then also to see where one melds into the other. The FTC does try to make clear that not all visual or verbal messages about a product are endorsements, but that they can become endorsements based on subsequent events. For example, a movie critic who writes a positive review of a film, that's not an endorsement of the film unless the critic is paid by the movie maker to write it. But if the filmmaker or the director or the studio quotes that review in publicity or in an advertisement, that does become an endorsement. The uh, endorsement guides also talk about a situation where a purchaser of a dog food posts a review of the dog food that they purchased on the manufacturer's website. Now, that review would not be an endorsement. But if the manufacturer then highlights the review or features it on its homepage, the review does become an endorsement.
0: In addition to updating the definition of endorsement, the FTC included a new definition in the endorsement guides of the phrase clear and conspicuous. That's a term that's quite familiar to advertising lawyers and marketing compliance teams, and I'm not quite sure if the FTC was clarifying or expanding the definition of that often-used phrase, but this is the first time the FTC has defined clear and conspicuous in the context of endorsements.
2: Yeah, that's right, Poe. And I just want to highlight something you said. First, you said the FTC either clarified or expanded the definition of clear and conspicuous. And I think that's a trend with today's FTC. There's always kind of a line between whether they're clarifying definitions or expanding them. But when it comes to clear and conspicuous, the phrase is generally used in the endorsement guides in connection with the requirement to disclose any material connection between the endorser and the seller of the endorsed product. That's commonly known as a material connection disclosure. So the new definition of clear and conspicuous includes a couple of key concepts. First, the disclosure must be difficult to miss. That's easily noticeable and easily understandable by ordinary customers. One interesting point that the guidance makes clear is that the disclosure on a cell phone or on the internet must be clear from somebody that's looking at the screen. You can't scroll down to see the disclosure. And if the endorsement is made visually, the disclosure must be visual, and if the endorsement is made audibly, then the disclosure should be audible. If the endorsement is made both audibly and visually, the disclosure should be both visual and audible.
0: In many ways, the FTC seems to have imported the principles and concepts from its .com Disclosures Guide, which has been around since 2000 and is currently under review.
2: I think that's right, and I think that shows that a lot of endorsements have moved on to the web.
0: Jesse. Under the new definition of clear and conspicuous, the FTC gave a lot of examples of disclosures that it considers to be adequate and those that it considers to be inadequate. Were there any surprises to you?
1: Yeah, you're right, Poe. The FTC did provide some helpful examples that they believe would be adequate for social media posts. Of course, to start, hashtag ad, hashtag paid ad, ad, paid ad, all things that are still acceptable paid social media posts. Thank God. <laughs> Glad they didn't change that. That would have been crazy. But they did note that hashtag endorsement is not clear enough. Also, hashtag ambassador, hashtag client, hashtag consultant, hashtag advisor, and hashtag partner are all problematic because they're apparently ambiguous and confusing. But keep in mind, adding the brand name to the front of those words might be clear enough. So sponsored and promotion at the beginning might be fine, but sponsored by brand or promotion by brand would be clearer. Although for years, marketers have been pushing back on this, disclosures in TikTok and Instagram story videos need to be superimposed over the videos and not just in the text description. Disclosures solely in the comments to a Facebook post are now not clear and conspicuous. Things like hashtag free product or I receive free tickets is not clear as a free product disclosure because it does not identify who gave the endorser the product, but stating that I was given a free product to review by the brand name would be clearer.
0: With these expanded examples, it's probably a good idea for companies to take another look at their social media guidelines and update the list of acceptable and unacceptable disclosures.
1: That's always a good idea. Definitely one of my take-home recommendations for today is if you haven't looked at your social media influencer guidelines or you haven't implemented guidelines yet, now's the time to do it.
0: Another surprise to me, Relating to clear and conspicuous disclosures was in the context of sweepstakes, an area that's near and dear to your heart.
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite topics, as you know, is social media sweepstakes compliance. And surprisingly, the FTC addressed this in their updated FAQs. And notably, contrary to the general industry practice on social media sweepstakes disclosures, the FTC stated that hashtag sweepstakes alone is not sufficiently clear disclosure to indicate a post that is incentivized by a sweepstakes entry. For the disclosure to be clear, the FTC recommends that the name of the brand or product be included in the disclosure also. Previously, the FTC had only disfavored abbreviations like hashtag sweeps.
0: What about using hashtag sweepstakes entry without the brand or product name?
1: I think that's getting better, but I don't think it goes all the way. I think it needs to be hashtag name of the sweepstakes that the brand has named the sweepstakes in order to make it clear that the person is entering the sweepstakes and receiving an entry as part of the post.
0: I can't wait to see how the industry incorporates this new guidance. This is certainly different than the standard practice to date. The industry may push back on this as well as in a few other areas, don't you think?
1: That's right, Poe. I think you may see some of that in the affiliate marketing space where the updated FAQs, the FTC decided to make a very strange choice in trying to distinguish what would be compliant versus a non-compliant disclosure. The FAQs indicate that the use of the term paid link to make an affiliate disclosure is an adequate disclosure, but using the term commissionable link is not a clear disclosure. I'm not sure if there was a typo there, but I'm not really sure how using the term commissionable link doesn't clearly disclose that an affiliate earns commissions if you buy something from their link. The only thing I can think of here is that they thought consumers may not understand what the word commissionable means, but isn't that what the dictionary is for? I don't know. That one is kind of a head-scratcher for me, Paul.
0: Well, as with all things in the endorsement guides, these are recommendations and guidance that merely signal the FTC's position now. The commission's position could change over time depending on how the industry is reacting to the guides and applying them in practice. In addition to defining clear and conspicuous, the FTC provided additional guidance on when a clear and conspicuous disclosure should be made. It's often hard to tell what is or is not a material connection that triggers a disclosure. In the revised guides, the FTC attempted to clarify this issue by stating that a disclosure is required when a significant minority of the audience for an endorsement does not understand or expect the connection. Bez, what does that mean? Where does that concept of significant minority come from?
2: So the FTC tries to define an unclear and ambiguous term by creating a new unclear and ambiguous term. The FTC new standard for determining whether disclosure is necessary based on the concept of significant minority really just leaves an open question as to what a significant minority is. While the term significant minority was referenced in a prior version of FAQs, The FTC had not previously used this as a standard to differentiate between a connection that requires a disclosure and a connection that does not. It's notable, though, that the NAD has used this as a connection, but there has been arguments between advertisers at the NAD as to what a significant minority should mean there. And there certainly will be arguments here as well, particularly because the determination of what a significant minority of consumers means was left pretty unclear in the endorsement guides. In fact, the endorsement guides note that the question of what a significant minority is, is a highly fact-specific question that in some cases might require empirical testing. I can see a lot of fighting between the FTC and advertisers on this issue. However, while significant minority hasn't been defined, Section 255.5A lists a number of examples of what the FTC does consider to be a material connection. And those examples include monetary payments, provisions of free or discounted products or services, early access to a product, and the possibility to win a prize, be paid, or appear on television or in other media promotions. One other example of a material connection that seems so obvious that it's not even listed is being an employee of the advertiser.
0: Another word that comes up a few times in the guides and the updated FAQs is unexpected. The FTC talks about how you need to disclose when there is an unexpected material connection.
2: Yeah, that's right. And that's something that the endorsement guides really, really focus on, what consumers should know and what a reasonable consumer should know. So if a reasonable consumer would not be expecting a connection between the endorser and the advertised product, that needs to be disclosed.
0: Okay, so let's assume a material connection disclosure is appropriate. What should the disclosure actually say? For example, an influencer gets a free product and is also paid for the endorsement. What disclosure is appropriate in that situation?
1: The revised guides state that a material connection disclosure does not require the complete details of the connection, but it must clearly communicate the nature of the connection sufficiently for consumers to evaluate its significance. Now, what does that mean? While the FTC refined the existing examples illustrating this principle, the basic guidance still remains the same. The endorsement doesn't need to disclose how much the endorser was paid. I was paid a million dollars for this endorsement. That's not required. And a simple pay disclosure is sufficient. But such pay disclosure would not be good enough if the endorser is an employee or co-owner. And also, if the endorser received free product plus an additional payment, then a disclosure only stating that the endorser received a free product is not sufficient. They also need to disclose that they were paid.
0: It's well established that advertisers can be held liable for the endorsement activities of its endorsers. But the nature of social media and influencer marketing makes it almost impossible for advertisers to ensure that its endorsers are complying with the guides and applicable laws. I think the FTC recognizes this challenge and has attempted to provide some practical guidance to address the issue. Based on the revised guides and the updated FAQs, BEZ, what can advertisers do to allow influencers to speak in their authentic voice while mitigating risk?
2: One answer that immediately comes to mind goes back to your initial question about who could be liable. Advertisers need to make their endorsers aware that the FTC will find both the advertiser and the endorsers liable for failing to disclose material connections. Now, endorsers who recognize that they could be on the hook for liability for making claims about products without providing the material connection disclosure, might be a little bit more careful about making such claims. Another thing that advertisers can and should do is regularly monitor their endorsers' social media platforms. And advertisers should be aware that the FTC is doing the same thing. FTC is combing social media in order to make sure that endorsers are not failing to make those material connection disclosures.
0: Jesse, I'd like to ask you about the potential liability of other stakeholders or participants when it comes to endorsement, that is, other than advertisers and endorsers, such as agencies that advertisers use to manage influencer marketing and other intermediaries. What does the FTC say about the potential liability of these intermediaries? Who are these intermediaries that the FTC is referring to in the endorsement guides?
1: And what might be the most helpful clarification for purposes of negotiating vendor agreements, with the various platforms that provide services in the space, the updated guides make it clear that advertising agencies, public relations firms, review brokers, and reputation management companies who act as intermediaries for advertisers may be liable for creating or disseminating endorsements they know or should have known were deceptive and for endorsements that did not disclose unexpected material connections. I can tell you personally, I was very tired of hearing in negotiations with all these platforms that provide affiliate and influencer marketing services that they had no responsibility for compliance with FTC's endorsement guidelines and claiming that they didn't have to comply with them. I'm thinking this clarification should hopefully help with these negotiations and getting these platforms to agree to share in the responsibility for ensuring legal compliance.
0: Notably, the FTC did not identify social media platforms as intermediaries in the revised guides. I thought that was really interesting, and I wonder if that was in recognition of social media platforms' multiple roles in influencer marketing. A platform may be simply acting as a passive publisher, a mere conduit of third-party activity, and in some cases, also actively participating in the development and execution of the campaign, such as by sourcing influencers. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I think The social media platforms are probably in a bit of a conundrum, right? Because the FTC has stated in the guides that the social media platforms disclosure functionality is probably not sufficient. They're in a position where their own influencers that they're instructing to write ads for advertisers can't just rely on their own platform's functionality, but they have to go above and beyond that and add additional disclosures. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out.
0: There are other elements of the revised endorsement guides I'd like to discuss, especially related to consumer reviews. We'll do that in part two of this episode. For now, I'd like to ask each of you, Bez and Jesse, to provide a tip or two for advertisers that want to engage in influencer or other endorsement marketing.
1: I would say one thing we haven't really talked about yet is monitoring and how the FTC has emphasized the need for brands, intermediaries, agencies, to monitor the influencers' actions to confirm their compliance with the updated guides and making the proper disclosures. We've helped many brands and other companies and agencies implement monitoring policies so that it's formalized, that can be used to train the marketing what and when to be looking for when they're doing this monitoring. Because I think without doing that monitoring, your compliance program is going to fall short in the FTC's
0: eyes. And in addition to monitoring, there needs to be enforcement of the policies.
1: Exactly. It's more or less taking corrective action with your influencers and making sure they cure any errors or omissions in their disclosure practices. And then to the extent that the influencer refuses to change or update their posts and then potentially having to terminate them.
0: And Bez, what are your practical tips?
2: I'll give two things. I think one thing advertisers should really make sure they're doing is making sure that their disclosures are clear and conspicuous. Now that the FTC's endorsement guides have have really defined that term, we know what they need to be. And especially on smartphones and iPads and other types of electronic devices, it's very important that you ensure that the material connection disclosure is shown on the screen the entire time that the endorsement is shown. The other thing, just on a sort of practical note, choose your endorsers wisely. There are some reality TV stars that I would not want to be my endorser because no matter how many clicks they get, I wouldn't trust them to make the material connections disclosure.
0: Thank you, Jesse and Bez, for taking this time to discuss the FTC's updated endorsement guides, diving into some of the key provisions of these updates and the revised FAQs. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for this episode of Perfect Balance, and advertising law podcast from Manat. Stay tuned for a continuation of the discussion on the revised endorsement guides in part two of this episode, and as always, feel free to reach out with any questions. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please subscribe to Perfect Balance, and advertising law podcast from Manat to receive updates about future episodes.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. The views expressed on the podcast reflect the personal views and opinions of the participants and are not intended to constitute legal advice or counsel under any circumstance. Downloading and listening to this recording do not result in the formation of an attorney, client, or other business relationship. You should not act on any information in the podcast without seeking the advice of a competent attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction.